Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. This morning, we're going to continue week three of our series, Amazing Grace. And uh, in his book, Grace is Greater, Kyle Eidelman shares the story of a painter, a painter by the name of Phil Hansen. And Phil also did a TED Talk on this. So if you like TED Talks, you can look it up on YouTube. Phil Hansen did a TED Talk on this. While he was uh, in college and a student, he was focused in his artwork on a form of art that is called pointillism. Pointillism is where you take meticulous little dots, and, uh, and with those little dots, as you make those little dots, you create uh, a, a bigger, beautiful uh, picture, the technique that artists use, small, distinct dots that form an image. And years of tediously making these little dots, as he would form that, something began to happen. He began to experience uh, some pain and some tremors in his hand. And the more that he would hold on and try to keep it steady and work, the, the worse that it got. In fact, it got so bad uh, that his hand, he couldn't keep steady. And his signature ability of making beautiful images out of small, perfect dots became his signature disability. It was at that point that a strength that he had had become a weakness, and he got very discouraged by it. And he actually dropped out of art for several years, about three and a half years, he says that he dropped out of art. He just couldn't do it anymore, and he got very discouraged and began to to get into depression. So he went to a neurologist, a specialist, to find out if there was anything that could be done because he really wanted to get back to what he enjoyed doing. And when he went to see the neurologist, the neurologist said, you've got too much nerve damage. There's nothing that we can do. But there was something that the neurologist said to him that was a game changer. The neurologist said to him this, why don't you embrace the shake? Embrace the shake. After a bit, Phil began to experiment because as he would draw on the shake, it would be a a shaky line. And so he began to experiment with art. And he found that over the time, the shake that had destroyed his artistic ability actually inspired his most powerful work. In fact, he discovered that his weakness had now become his strength. In fact, as he began to, 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 to do these things, he began to think, what other limitations have I put on myself? He used to think that he had to buy all of these expensive artwork and artistic supplies and all of these things, but he began to think, what if I only had just a little bit of this, or what if I only had that, or what if I tried this, or what if I tried that? And out of it, embracing the limitation, he began to see that there were other ways in which he could make art, other ways in which he could express his gift, and his limitations became the catalyst to his greatest creativity. In fact, Phil learned to embrace the shake. That's what he says. I learned to embrace the shape, and he discovered that his weakness actually became the catalyst to those most inspiring pieces. Here's how he explains it. He says this, we need to first be limited in order to be limitless. We first need to be limited in order to be limitless. 
Phil's discovery reminds me of something that the Apostle Paul had shared in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's one of the most dynamic people in the New Testament, but if you know anything about his start, you know that the Apostle Paul did not start out as somebody who was a believer in Jesus. In fact, quite the opposite. He thought that Jesus was not the Jewish Messiah, and that what Jesus came to do and what his disciples were preaching about his resurrection actually became something that threatened the very fabric of his Jewish heritage and Jewish faith. And and so he began to persecute Christians. I mean, he was passionate about persecuting Christians to the point where he would have them put to death or he would have them jailed. And one day he went to the high priest and he knew about some believers were in Damascus and he got permission to go there and arrest them and go there and, 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 and punish them, go there and, and, and flog them and put them in jail. And while he was on the way, he had an encounter with Jesus. We read about it in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuted? Why do you persecute me? You have to know Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Gentile name that later on he would, he would take on. And Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Again, a powerful encounter. For three days, he could not see, and the the blindness that he experienced on the physical side was actually a symbol to the spiritual blindness that he had had in his life towards Jesus. It was a symbol of spiritual blindness, and for three days, he was not able to see And the Lord, by His grace, appeared to a man in Damascus, a follower by the name of Ananias in a vision. And He told Ananias, I'm sending you to a guy, Saul. And Ananias said, wait a minute, that's the guy who persecutes Christians. I don't know if I should go to him. And he said, no, I'm sending you to him. He's going to be a light and a revelation to the Gentiles. I'm sending you to him. And so Ananias obeyed the Lord, and he met Paul. And this is the exchange that they had, Acts 9, 17 and 18. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and was baptized. How many of you know that's an encounter of the grace of the Lord? Saul was not pursuing Jesus. He did not have any interest in Jesus. He was away from Jesus, but Jesus was pursuing him. Friends, I'm going to tell you that if you've got somebody in your life that you know that is fighting against Jesus, that is not willing to embrace and accept Jesus, there is hope, and it's right here. The hope is the grace of God, because it's the grace of God that lets the scales from our eyes fall. It's the grace of God that allows us to see the reality of who Jesus is and to have an encounter with Him that changes the very course and fabric of our lives. That's what happened to to Paul That's what happened to him. He had this encounter, and he began to preach in the name of Jesus. In fact, with all of his studies, that where he studied under Gamaliel and studied under a Hebrew of Hebrews and Pharisee of Pharisees, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, with all of his study, he began to have by the Holy Spirit this revelation of who Jesus was as the fulfillment of the Messiah throughout the Old Testament, that it wasn't to tear down Jewish, uh, it wasn't to tear down the Jewish faith, it wasn't to tear down the Hebrew faith, but rather 
rather it was actually God's promise. And it says in Acts 9.22, so Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews in living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He was powerful in word, powerful indeed. In fact, he was so powerful that persecution began to come and they sent him to Tarsus for a little while and then they brought him out when the church of Antioch was booming. He had an opportunity to be involved in discipleship. He was involved in miracles and healing and delivering of demons. He was somebody who went around on missionary journeys with Barnabas and, and later on with Silas and planted churches and lives were changed and cities were turned upside down. That's the power of God. That's the grace of God. Amen? However, something happened in his life. Something happened in his life. Something that he calls a a thorn in the side, a thorn in the flesh, and a messenger of Satan. And, And this is what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 and 8, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Torment me. Three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. There are some that that think that it was him losing his eyesight. You know, throughout different areas, you can see that that Paul at one point struggled with his eyesight to the point where in one letter, he said, I write this letter to you in my own handwriting, these big letters to you, because he was having trouble seeing Some think it might have been the regret of the past standing there when Stephen was stoned and and being persecuted. Perhaps it was some regret earlier of of some of the things that he did in persecuting Christians in the way. We don't know exactly what the problem was, but what we do know is he prayed three times and pleaded with God to take it away. Have you ever had a situation in your life that you were pleading for God to take it away? God, take it away. God, why am I going through this? God, this is a thorn in the flesh. God, this is a, a mess messenger of Satan. God, I don't want to go through this. Why do I have to do this? Why am I encountering this? And you're pleading with God to take it away. That's the situation that he was in. Pleading with God. We don't know what the situation was. And the reason that we don't is that so you and I can identify with Paul. There might be something in your life that plagues you. Maybe it's a sin issue, or maybe it's, a, it's a, a memory that keeps coming back. Maybe it's the pain of regret, or someone that has hurt you, and you struggle to forgive, and you battle over and over and over again with something. And you plead, take it away. But rather than remove it, here's the response that Paul receives from his prayer. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Notice that the answer was not the removal of the thorn. It was not the, 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 the messenger of Satan that he calls to no longer come. He wasn't removed from the situation. The situation was not removed from him, but rather the word he receives is my grace is sufficient for you. It's kind of like God's way of telling him what the neurologist told Phil Hansen, embrace the shake. Embrace the shake. My grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient means enough. How many know God's grace is enough? God's grace is enough. Grace is the answer to whatever we face. Grace is the answer to whatever we go through. The answer is found in these words, my grace is sufficient for you. 
Friends, whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, I believe there's somebody in here today that needs to hear this word today that God is saying to you, my grace is sufficient for you. The answer is not always the removal of weakness or the removal of the struggle. The answer is found in leaning into the sufficiency of God's grace. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see the sufficiency of God's grace at work. I want to share with you three areas where God's grace is sufficient. There's many others, but these specific areas God laid on my heart to share with you today. God's grace is sufficient, friends, when I'm tempted. When I'm tempted, when I'm facing temptation. 2 Corinthians 12 opens with Paul speaking about uh, against boasting. And, you know, that's one of the areas that could have been a temptation for Paul. The, the temptation to boast. In fact, the temptation to rely on himself. We know that, 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 that Paul had quite the, the history before he was saved. In fact, he, he oftentimes will share about his testimony. You have to understand that he wasn't one of the original 12 disciples or one of the original apostles, so to speak. His encounter with Jesus happened on the road to Damascus, but there were many that said, you're not like the others. You're not like Peter. You're not like John. You're not like those who actually walk with Jesus. You're not a real apostle. And oftentimes, he would have to defend himself. And one of the ways that he would do that was by listing some of the credentials in his, in his resume, so to speak. I'm, I'm, I'm a Hebrew among Hebrews. I, I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. I, I, I was taught a Pharisee among Pharisees when it came to the law, perfect. I followed the law. I obeyed the law. I, I did all of these things. You add to that his history and his pedigree. I'm a Hebrew. I'm this. You add to that then what God did after he got saved. The encounter with Jesus and the miracles. And I planted all of these churches and I've written all these letters that are going to become scripture. It could be easy to begin to rely on yourself and to begin to boast about what you're resume is so it's nothing to say here when he's talking about a thorn in his flesh and the grace of God look at what Paul says in 2nd Corinthians 12 7 therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me you see Paul came to reframe it the very thing that he saw as an area of weakness the very thing that he saw as a messenger of Satan or a thorn in the flesh became the very thing that kept him from sin that kept him from sinning in pride and from becoming conceited he began to turn it around and he began to see that, that there it was there is an opportunity where God provided a way when I'm feeling tempted how many know God's grace is sufficient when I'm being tempted? In fact, he wrote earlier in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he began to warn the church and began to provide a little bit of encouragement when it came to temptation. But look at how it opens. We like to quote verse 13, but I want to highlight verse 12 just for a moment. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. If you think you're standing firm, in other words, don't start, if you want to start to rely on yourself and you think, I've got a firm thing, you better be careful because you may fall. How many know that's pride, right? And then it says this, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out or a way of escape that you, that you can endure it. Or you may be able to stand up under it, is what another translation says. Friends, how many know God is sufficient to help us when I'm tempted? 
He can help me when I'm tempted. When you face temptation, God, God's grace is sufficient for you. Some couple of things about temptation. How many know everybody faces temptation? Temptation is common to man. Everybody faces temptation. Jesus faced temptation, didn't he? Jesus was sinless, but he faced temptation. It is not being tempted that's a sin. It's when you give in to it. When you give in to temptation, that's when it's a sin. Everybody faces temptation. Where do we see the sufficiency of God's grace? He says this. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. And then he says this, and God is faithful. See, that's the key. God is faithful. God's grace is enough. God's grace is sufficient to help me when I am tempted. When I am faithless, who is faithful? God. God is faithful. His faithfulness found when we understand this. He's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. I know there's a lot of people that don't like to believe that. You don't understand. It's just too much. I just, I just, I just couldn't resist. I mean, I was just walking through the grocery store, and then I smelled the bakery, and I just had to go by and check out them donuts. I just entered the foyer on Sunday morning, and there they were, those donuts that were right in the back. And I just, I smelled that, and I just, man, the temptation just overtook me, and I just, no matter what, I tried to, I just couldn't resist. It was just too much for me. I know, that's terrible. Let me tell you something, friends. God's not going to give you more than you can bear when it comes to temptation. When it comes to temptation. He knows your limits. He knows your limits. He doesn't give you more than what you can endure. Why? Because His grace is sufficient for you. It's not in your own power. It's in His power. It's in His power. Often we don't believe that's the case. We think temptation, it's just too much for us. But friends, I'm going to tell you, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. How does He do it? How does He do it? What is His way? He provides a way of escape. He provides a way of escape. God provides the way of escape. He provides it if we will take it. Paul saw the limitation and the thorn in the flesh. He began to reframe it. And he saw that this very thing, this messenger of Satan, he saw this very thing, this thorn in the flesh that he had pleaded with the Lord. He turned it around and realized that that was God's grace to keep him from becoming conceited. He recognized this is a temptation that I might fall into, but God has provided a way in order to limit me so that I don't give in to temptation. Friends, the way of escape sometimes is when a situation or a circumstance is limiting you and keeping you from the very thing that is going to harm you or the very thing that will harm others and cause you to sin. Sometimes the way of escape, though, friends, is, is simply by turning off the television. Turning off the Netflix. Turning off the Hulu or whatever else it is. Sometimes the temptation is shutting down the computer. Sometimes the, the way of escape is to put a covenant eyes filter on your phone or, 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 or on your computer if you're struggling. Sometimes that's the temptation is to, to take a different way home. Sometimes the temptation, the way of, of temptation is leaving the room. Sometimes the way of, uh, to escape temptation, the way of escape is to open up your Bible. Let me tell you something. That's a good place to start. When you're starting to feel tempted, open up your Bible, begin to read through the promises, begin to read through the scriptures, begin to read through those things of God. Let the Spirit of God begin to refresh you. Sometimes the way of escape is to pick up the phone and call a friend before you give in. Not afterwards when you're like, oh, I did it. I can't believe. Oh, I'm so bad. Please help me feel better about myself. 
help me feel better. Oh, I did this. Oh, make me feel better. Rub my back and tell me how, one, how, how it's going to be okay. Pick up the phone beforehand. That's the way of escape. I'm feeling tempted. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I know I'm going to get in. I need help. Hey, can you talk me off the ladder? Hey, can you pray with me? Hey, can you come and sit with me? Hey, can you be there for me? That's the way of escape, right? That's the way of escape. Sometimes we got to take the way of escape. God's, the sufficiency of God's grace is the way of escape. And sometimes, friends, here's what we really need to get into. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16 tells us where the grace of God is at. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Look at weaknesses, right? But we have one who was tempted. Look, temptation, tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Who is that? That's Jesus. That's Jesus, right? So look, we'll get, here, here, guess what we get to do? Here's your salad today, lettuce, all right? Lettuce. Some of you are just now picking up. They're just a little slow this morning, all right? Let us then approach God's throne of condemnation. Is that what it says? No, what's it say? God's throne of grace with confidence. Why? Confidence because of our great high priest, because of Jesus, because he went ahead, because he made the way. Confidence. So that we may receive what? Mercy and find what? Grace. Grace in what? To help us in our time of need. Notice the need has to do with a temptation. God is able to empathize with us. Why? Because his grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. And when you are tempted, his grace is sufficient to help you, friends. You've got to lean in by approaching the throne of grace. Lean into his presence because in his presence there is a sufficiency for when I am facing temptation. James 4, 6, he gives more grace. Not less grace, more grace. More grace. Therefore, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Do you know what keeps us from the sufficiency of God's grace? Pride. When I won't admit that I need help, when I won't admit that I, that I don't have enough willpower, that I don't have enough strength, that I can't do it on my own. If you, if you can't get to that place, then you won't receive grace. That kind of rhymes. If you can't get to that place, then you won't receive grace. Somebody need to get that. You got to get to that place. You know what that place is? On my knees. You know what that place is? In surrender. Right here. <laughs> it's right here. Therefore, what? Submit to God. Whoa, submit. We in America don't like submit. Who are we going to submit to? That's because we're too busy thinking we're God. We know good or evil. We can make our own way. We're independent. We're self-sufficient. Listen, your self-sufficiency is going to lead you to hell. Your only hope is the sufficiency of God's grace. The road to hell is self-sufficiency. The road to heaven is God's sufficiency. Leaning into the sufficiency of God's grace. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Got to resist. That's something you got to do. Submit. Resist. But here is, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. Go into the throne room of grace to find mercy and help. Mercy and grace and help in your time of need. 
The sufficiency of God's grace. Because when you come into his presence, as we talked about, show us your glory, right? Show us your glory. But you know what happens? When people experience the glory of God, they, they, they found very quickly that they were on their face. Why? Oh, purify me, cleanse me. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. This is a prophet of God that when he got in the presence of God, realized he couldn't even stand in the presence of God. So you have cleansed your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It's the sufficiency of God's grace. We don't have sufficiency in ourselves. I said that, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being of ourselves, but our sufficiency, look, is where? From God. From who? from God. From myself, I just got to stir up myself, right? I just got to stir up. I just got to be stronger. I got to stir up myself. Not yourself. It's God. It's God. Secondly, God's grace is sufficient when I'm tired. Anybody been tired? Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it is spiritual. It requires a lot of energy. Sometimes doing the right thing is a lot harder than doing the easy thing, right? Paul experienced seasons where he was tired. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, a couple of chapters before the one that we read, he was talking about one season of ministry, and he said, when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest. We were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside and fears within. You ever had conflict on the outside and fear within? Man, he was tired. He was battle after battle after battle after battle. No rest. We had no rest. Sometimes you're just plain tired. Emotional, spiritual, physical, you're just plain tired. So what do you do when you're dead tired? Second Corinthians 1.21, it is God who enables us. He enables us to stand firm for Christ. He's commissioned us and has identified us as his own. Look at this, by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Friends, when you're tired, you need the Holy Spirit. When you're tired, when you're beat up, when you're conflict on the outside and fear on the inside, you need to turn and say, Holy Spirit, I need refreshed in Jesus' name. I need refreshed in Jesus' name. You can't meet your tiredness on your own. Going back to the Old Testament, there's a great example of someone who leaned into the sufficiency when they were tired of God's grace. In fact, they didn't even lean in. God just provided the sufficiency of His grace when they were tired. How many remember the prophet Elijah? Remember the prophet Elijah? I mean, you're talking about a dude who, who confronted everything. Man, he confronted Ahab and sinful Jezebel, and, and they had turned the nation of Israel to idolatry. And, uh, and so he prayed that it would not rain. He said, there needs to be a drought in this land. He began to pray that it would not rain. And for three and a half years, it did not rain. But guess what? When there's a drought, he was just as impacted by the drought as everybody else was, except the sufficiency of God. God fed him by a brook, fed him by ravens, fed him by a widow, just met his knees. And then there came this time when all of a sudden he went head to head with the prophets of Baal. How many remember that story where he went head to head with the 450 prophets of Baal? Some of you do. Some of you are asleep already. It's okay. Uh, but he, they're there on the mountain. <laughs> And the prophets of Baal, he says to them, we're going to see whose God is God, all right? You make a sacrifice, I'll make a sacrifice. Don't light anything. We're just going to call on the Lord. And the one God who answers by fire, he is God. So they danced around. They cut themselves. They couldn't get God. They were chanting. They were doing all their things. And of course, Baal is not even a God, dead. He didn't answer by fire. Nothing's happening. Elijah's making fun of them. Then Elijah says, it's my turn. And he asked for water to be dumped on. So not only is it a dry sacrifice, but water. He wanted no mistake whose God was God. And when he called on the name of the Lord, God answered by fire. Power! 
powerful, right? And then he said, all right, it's time for some rain. And so he begins to pray for rain. And he prays and he sends his servant to look seven times, no rain. Finally, on the seventh time, his servant comes back. I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, that's it. A storm is coming. Hey, Ahab, you better get home because the storm is coming. A flood is coming and it's going to rain. And then look what happens. Man, he is so full, so full of zeal. There is so much power. And look what happens. 1 Kings 18, 46. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak in his belt so he would not trip when he ran. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. He outran chariots. You know why? Because after everything that had happened, at this point, Ahab and Jezebel have to admit that Jehovah is God. They're going to repent right now because how do you see all of these things and not repent, right? How do you see all the power of God and the demonstration and not repent and turn back in revival? But look what happens. Next chapter, 1 Kings 19. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah, praise the Lord, we're going to repent now. Is that what she said? Oh, no. She said this, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. Well, I'm thinking, I'm Elijah. Man, we just had fire come down on the sacrifice. I just prayed and it rained. I prayed it didn't rain. I said, you know what? I'm going to call fire down on you. Jezebel. Oh yeah, you think you're something special? Listen, I got Jehovah God, and you're about to face judgment. That's what I would think, right? I mean, like Elisha, you know, Elisha, man, he had some little kids making fun of him, and he he called a bear out, and a grizzly bear came and ate him up. You better be careful if you start making fun of me. I'm just kidding. But that's not what happens. What happens? Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. He himself went a day's journey in the wilderness, came to a broom bush, sat down under it, prayed that he might die. He was depressed. I failed. Man, if all of that didn't convince and didn't get revival going in this nation, I don't know what will. If that kind of encounter with God didn't didn't turn things around, I I don't know what will. I'm done. I'm done. I might die. Lord, I've had enough, he says. I've had enough, Lord take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then look, he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. You know what was really going on? He was tired. He couldn't face any more of the spiritual battle because he was plain tired. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, he was exhausted. So what does God do? Oh, Elijah, shame on you. You're done. Shame on you. You're done. Is that what, Eli- is that what God does? No. You know, what, you know what the scripture says? I don't have time to read it. You know what the scripture says? That, that he fell asleep and an angel of the Lord came and woke him up and fed him. And you know what happened right after he fed him? Sure, he was really strengthened. No, he went back to sleep again. And an angel of the Lord came a second time and fed him again. And then led him to a mountain. And you know what happened at the mountain? He didn't go, oh God. He just started complaining. I'm the only one left. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Does God strike him? No. God appears to him in the still, small voice. In the still, small voice. And it's in that time 
of renewing in the presence of the Lord that we understand that when you are tired, God's grace is sufficient for you. That when you are tired, His grace is sufficient when I am tired. Hallelujah. Paul learned this and he wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act and to fulfill His good purpose. Listen, it is not in your strength and it is not in your ability. It is in the sufficiency of the grace of God. In his sufficiency, I got to hurry up here. Thirdly, God's grace is sufficient when I'm troubled. How many of you know Paul experienced all kinds of troubles, didn't he? Things that are unplanned, unrelenting, undeserving. You and I go through it, but Paul did. In fact, you can read it yourselves. Just the chapter before, my grace is sufficient for you, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He lists all of these things near the end in verses 23 to 27. He said, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more often. Flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. 39 lashes, five times. Pelted with stones, beaten with rods, shipwrecked. Spent a night and a day in the open sea, constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. How many know that's a lot of danger? I've labored and toiled so often without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. You might have it bad, but I don't think you have it that bad. Right? How did he get through? By leaning into the sufficiency of God's grace. How do I know that? Because the chapter about my grace is sufficient for you. Do you know what verse 10, the next verse is? It says this. That's why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses. Not only weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. The very thing he listed in chapter 11, he's now recounting very shortly here, for when I am weak, then I am strong. His perspective changed on his troubles because he began to see them through the sufficiency of God's grace, and God's grace is there when I am troubled. In fact, Isaiah 41.10 reminds us with this promise, so don't worry, because I'm with you. Don't be afraid because I'm your God. I'll make you strong and help you. I'll support you with the right hand, my right hand that saves you. Friends, whatever you're going through, you need to lean into the sufficiency of God's grace. He is so strong. He's not going to let you fall. He won't let you fail. God's grace is sufficient for you. Now, I'm going to invite the worship team to come because we're going to close. But I want to go back to verse 9 for a moment. I want to go back to verse 9 for a moment because I want to highlight something. So let's read it again. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Friends, Paul was struggling with the thorn in his flesh, with the messenger from Satan, and three times he prayed for God to remove it, for God to take it away, for God to answer. He didn't want it anymore, and three times he pleaded with the Lord. And you know what? When the answer came, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul had a decision to make. And here's where the decision goes. He could continue to pray and say, I don't accept that. I'm going to pray until you change your mind, God. I don't accept it. I'm praying until you change your mind. He could have made the decision to get upset. How dare you? Look at all I've done for you. Look at all I've suffered for you. How could you not answer this prayer in my life? Come on and gotten angry at God. He could have gotten angry. He could have gone into depression. 
grace is sufficient. I'm done. I quit. This is too much. I just, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I just, I'm done. That's the way you're going to be? I'm done. I'm done. But he doesn't. Here's where he gets to. Therefore. Therefore. You see, whenever you pray and God doesn't answer in the way that you want, you've got a therefore moment. That's a therefore moment. And some of you are at a therefore moment. Some of you are in a, in a situation where you've been praying for God to do something. You've been wanting God to do something in your life. You've been experiencing trouble. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're at that place. Maybe some of you are just tired of the same old, same old and battling temptation and the same old, same old, same old. And you're at that place where I'm ready to give up. God, come on. How come you just didn't take it away? What's happening? You are at a therefore moment, a therefore moment. I mean, you can either say, God, I'm angry. How could you not do this? You can say, I give up. You can keep on praying for things to change or you can get to the therefore that Paul did and you can come to a place of acceptance you can come to that place like the neurologist who said to Phil Henson embrace the shake some of you got to embrace the shake the sufficiency of God's grace that in the midst of whatever you're going through therefore my grace is sufficient okay if that's the case if that's the therefore then you know what I'm going to boast about my weakness I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to boast about it. I'm going to share it because it's there that the sufficiency of Christ can begin to work in me. The sufficiency and power of Christ can work in my life and the testimony can take place. Paul moved (laughs) to take it away to I will trust in you. And isn't that faith? We move from take it away to I will trust in you. I will trust in you. So friends, Where's the areas of God's sufficiency that you need to lean into today? What's the area of weakness that you are facing and you say, I need your sufficiency. I need the grace of your sufficiency. Are you facing a temptation that seems overwhelming? God's grace is sufficient for you. Are you tired? Are you ready to give up? God's grace is sufficient for you. Are you facing overwhelming circumstances and troubled on the out and troubled from within? Are you facing those circumstances today and you say, God, I don't know if I can keep going. Friends, His grace is sufficient for you. His grace, that same grace that saves, is that same grace that is sufficient for everything we walk through in life. So I want to ask you today, is there anybody right now, you're going through something, you're facing something, and you say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I need the sufficiency of God's grace. I need the sufficiency. Come on, anybody at all, thank you. Thank you. If you're online, let us know. I need the sufficiency of God's grace. I'm going through something. I need His sufficiency in my life. I need His sufficiency in my life. Yeah, come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's pray right now. Father, I just pray for those who raise their hands. God, they need the sufficiency of your grace in their lives. Father, whatever it is, whatever they are facing, whatever they're going through, Lord, if they're just struggling with temptation that just seems too overwhelming, your grace is sufficient. Father, if they're tired emotionally, physically, ready to give up, feeling that despondency or depression, Father, today, Lord, let us know your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. 
Father, whatever the circumstances are that are overwhelming, that are pressing in, God, your grace is sufficient. Today, we lean into the sufficiency of your grace. I ask you, Lord, to strengthen. I ask you to fill with the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that your power might rest on us today because your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Father, we lean into your sufficient grace. If you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, His grace is sufficient for your forgiveness, to to forgive any guilt, any regret, any shame, any sin in your life. Confess your sin to the Lord and invite Jesus into your life right now. If you need to invite Jesus into your life right now, you need His sufficient grace for salvation. I want you right now, slip up your hand in here. Let us know online if you're watching. Come on, I need His saving grace. I need His forgiving grace right now. Anybody at all? Yeah, thank you. I need His saving grace. Thank you. Come on, let's pray right now. Dear Jesus, I thank you today for your saving grace. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me. And I invite you to come into my life and renew me. I receive your grace and mercy in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.